Hi, I'm Mike, a working dad of two wee boys. And I'm Paul Campbell, also a working dad of two little lads. This is Balancing Dads, a podcast that assumes it's normal for working dads to be present in their kids' lives. This week, we have with us Jame, who is also my next-door neighbour. Jame, could you explain to us what your job is? I'm a doctor. More specifically, I'm an infectious disease doctor. So I work in hospitals and take care of people that have tropical diseases, skin infections, HIV, and provide advice to other doctor teams about how to treat infectious diseases in their specialty. Wow. That sounds like you would have to be very clever to do that. Are you very clever? <laughs> I've got no idea how to answer that. <laughs> what is your family setup, James? Do you have a partner or children? And uh, yeah, sure. how does so, that work? So I've got a wife, Laura. She's a doctor as well. She works in emergency medicine. And then we've got a 17-month-old kid and uh, two dogs. That sounds like a handful. It's fine. Well, I mean, at the moment, uh, Laura's on holiday with the kid. Uh, so it's uh, less of a handful than normal. Nice. Is it? Is it just me? Or do doctors tend to marry other doctors? I think we do now that there's more female doctors. I think back in the day, we used to marry a lot of nurses or just anybody that you could have access to in between long shifts. <laughs> <laughs> I know somebody who was dating a doctor and uh, she she passed on him. And now I just assume it was because he is not a doctor. <laughs> I wonder if that's a, there's probably a business to be made for like a dating site just for doctors. Like literally they confirm with the so medical registry. I don't know if there's that, but there was a sort of doctor's forum website thing that had a dating subsection where you could sort of put up no. I don't even need to look it up. Data. It, it, it's got to exist, and it's got to be like a really hotly contested AdWords keyword. <laughs> <laughs> so, James, what does your schedule look like on a given, I guess, work day? I guess it's probably pretty variable depending on whether you or Laura or neither or both are working or whatever. But on a day that <laughs> at, at least one of you is working, what, what does your kind of timetable look like it varies quite a lot because i i work nine to five except when i'm on call when i work overnight um and laura just does shifts so her specialty is emergency medicine like i said so a day shift would be eight to six for example but a night shift would be from 10 until eight so what what time does the we one get up in the morning and give us almost like an, an overview of what the day looks like or any given day looks like kind of from then until they go to bed well, I mean, at the moment, she's not really sleeping all that well, and she never has, so hmm. day getting up can start at about, you know, from half four to half five in the morning, um, and then we'll try and keep her asleep until about, you know, at least half six, but sometimes uh, that's doable and sometimes isn't. Um, usually we'll take her into bed, and sometimes she'll drop off, or sometimes she'll start playing by grabbing various bits of your face to make you um, say a noise, which she finds amusing. And then at that point, she'll uh, we'll get her up and get some breakfast into her. One of us will walk the dogs whilst the other one is giving her breakfast. And then we'll get her changed and we drop her off at nursery around about 8am. And then after that, well, I'll, I'll go to work. It sort of depends on what Laura's doing as to whether or not um, she goes. If she's working in the morning, as in if she's doing a day shift, she'll have already left, so I'll have to do all of this, including the dog walking, on my own. If she is doing a late shift, she might do one of those things, and I'll do uh, the other, breakfast and uh, walking the dogs. 
and then uh, I go off to work. Uh, and then I come back at five. Even if I'm on call, I'm able to come back because I my on calls currently are from home. That'll change in February. But at the moment, I'm on call overnight, but all I need is a computer at my place. So I go straight to nursery from work, pick her up and take her back to the house. Um, and then one of us will uh, make some dinner for maybe six to half, six. And then we'll bath her after uh, dinner from half six till seven or something like that. And then one of us, usually me, unless I'm on call, uh, does the bedtime routine. And then she'll be in bed from, she'll be asleep from maybe half seven to maybe eight o'clock at the latest. It's such a relief to hear that even a couple of doctors haven't solved the baby sleep problem. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I kind of, we, we do want to sleep train her, but it just seems that whenever you do get her sleeping through the night for a couple of days, uh, she'll then just like get a cold or she'll start teething and then she'll wake up screaming in the middle of the night and need to get put back down or she'll want to come into the bed with us or rather she'll scream whenever she goes into her cross so eventually we get some knack of them and just bring her into bed. Have you followed any kind of program or, or system? No, no specific system but we've tried to do the thing where you sort of pick her up and get her dozy and then you put her back in and then you leave her for a minute and then you pick her up again and then you leave her for two minutes and all that kind of stuff, but um, to be honest, it's not really, uh, really worked particularly well. We've tried white noise. That seems to be, or Laura, Laura seems to think it's working. She's but you're not sure. Noise. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know, like, it seems it's, to me that she's waking up just as much with the white noise, but we I, only just started it. I'm at so, risk of repeating myself, I can't tell you how cathartic it feels to hear somebody else who ought to know the how people work has <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. these problems. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's really annoying when you're not able to get full night's sleep. I can hear um, the frustration in your voice. <laughs> and you know what? Like we're both used to doing shift work, so we're both used to like having really crappy sleep patterns. In fact, when Laura first became a mum, uh, she said it was the best sleep she'd had in years because when you do A and E. Like your your patterns are all over the place, and especially when you move departments and stuff. But although Alana was waking up to feed every couple of hours, Laura could just feed her on her side and stay in bed, and and you know it was much better than when she was working full time. But now we've sort of gone a bit used to it, and especially now Laura's gone back to working full time. I think we're both finding it a struggle. Let's say that sounds pretty tough. I think we are gonna come along to that stage i guess paul and i talked last time my uh two-year-old is a pretty amazing sleeper but then uh, the wee three-month-old's pretty terrible so i think yeah we'll, we'll see what happens well, when he gets what, old like, enough i'm really glad to hear that because <laughs> we're thinking about sleeping we're always comparing her to the nearest kid which is of course your kid your two-year-old and uh you know we asked semi-nonchalantly about how he's down to sleep and i think he said something like oh well he just always got himself down to sleep he was the best sleeper in the world he got 18 hours of light we had to wake up <laughs> uh, so that he could have something to do during the day and uh we always thought well actually our kid should be sleeping 18 hours that's definitely not been the case with her so i guess what i'm saying is i hope your three-month-old gives you hell <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. There man. are there are fewer evils in the world than a parent whose kid sleeps well boasting about it to a parent whose kid does not sleep well. <laughs> I, I wasn't boasting. <laughs> oh yes, I've you actually, were. Oh yes, you I've were. I've got to the point now with some parents that I will actually just lie if they ask like how he sleeps. I will I will make him it sound like he sleeps a lot worse than he actually does just so they feel less bad. No matter well, how I, humble you think you were being, you were boasting. Well, that's the, thing. Like, the, the only thing worse than boasting is somebody who doesn't realise that they're boasting. Because it's just normal for them, and they've, you know, they've got this perfect sleepy kid. So my confession is, I said to my wife before the youngest, now three-month-old, is born, I said to her, and I feel like if he's a really good sleeper, then we can take some sort of credit for our system. But then I think literally on about night two, I said, yeah, I don't think we're taking credit for the system. (laughs) (laughs) I think you just flip a coin every time, and this time we got the bad one. And it affects you for the next five years of your life. Yeah, that's the other thing. Nobody told me that teething lasted more than like, you know... 20 minutes. Six months or something like that. Yeah, I basically thought, I, I, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought Oh, we start teething at six months and they're done by eight. But no, teeth are still popping through. I, I just, I guess, I just thought the subsequent teeth weren't sore yeah. for some reason. I don't know why having teeth shove themselves through your gums would be, um, you know, not a painful experience. But anyway, you know, it's it's so bad to hear that our five month old is just teething and he's sleeping through the night. So. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> What's this podcast called again? Make Jane feel like crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah we actually working title. We have the three-year-old undo all and any good that the baby causes. <laughs> so, have you and your wife both dropped your hours? Yeah, we have. So, I I don't work Fridays anymore, and uh, Laura doesn't work Tuesdays. Um, we still. Um, because there's still stuff that we do on our uh, off days related to work. Um, we still have nursery hours, but we'll do stuff with her on that day that we otherwise wouldn't be able to do. So Laura takes her swim, I take her to uh, sing and sign, and then we'll you know just sort of spend time with her. But then if we've got a project that we need to do, we can still put her into nursery. Like at the moment, I'm finishing off my uh, PhD thesis um, correction, so I'll do that. In, in say Friday afternoon, and she went to nursery. So, did you decide that being one doctor wasn't enough? You had to ha- have three doctors between two people. Well, I quite like to be doctor, doctor. And also, here's the a little peep behind the curtain of the marriage. Laura's got a better qualification than I do, so she's got a master's in clinical medicine. And at the moment, it's the highest rank qualification between us two. So, I want to get a PhD so that I can be doctor, doctor. And of course, Laura going for my wife. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's what a marriage is about, really, is it not? Competing with your spouse. I think I talked to, yeah, I talked to Paul previously about our kind of schedule, and I go and pick up a one day a week because it's so lovely because he runs over and says, Daddy. Um, I, I must have jinxed it by kind of mentioning that on the podcast last time because um, when I picked and him I up just, on... just breeze past you and say... Uh, well, no, it, it was it was better still, actually. Uh, so on Wednesday, I went and picked him up, and he said, no... Want mommy, don't want daddy. Oh no! Oh, oh no! So, oh, okay, I'll just go home and I'll send mom to come yeah. and pick you up instead. Then. <laughs> there is a wonderful thing about that because I found that 
Um, I mean, I get that multiple times a day. But if I just force the issue, he'll concede and he'll let me pick him up or he'll let me eventually brush his teeth or whatever it is he wants his mother to do that I can't do. But on the other hand, it, it's sort of like this really unveiled transparency. He just says what he thinks. He's just, yeah, yeah. no, I don't want you. I want money, <laughs> but I'll settle for you. There's no, there's none of this like grown up politeness or hiding things or passive aggressiveness. It's just like, don't want you, but it's fine. You'll do. There's, there's something very nice about that. I suppose you haven't, you haven't really been rejected as a, as a human being until you have sat cross-legged on the floor with uh, the gruffalo open and watched your daughter pick up a turn the flat book and walk past you over to mum, who's doing the dishes, and just tug on her um, <laughs> leg and ask her to read you, uh, ask her to read her the book. But uh, I had a an incident. You're trying to you're trying to look after your kid, and they they completely reject you. Um, you'll both appreciate it. It was an incident with a tonic snowball. If you don't oh. know what a tonic snowball is, it's it's some white sticky like Italian marshmallow surrounded by a thin layer of chocolate and then dusted with coconut. And we had a spare one. I decided to be a nice daddy for the three-year-old and I put it in a bowl for him so that he wouldn't spill the little coconut bits everywhere. Um, left him. He took a bite out of it and then I went out of the room and I said, oh, can I have a bit? I touched it with my finger and I got a tiny bit of marshmallow on it and I, I took a piece for myself. Well, he did not like that. <laughs> So, so he starts, he, he gets down, he's on the floor, he's screaming. I go over to Kira, my wife, and we're just saying, let's ignore this, let's ignore this. Next thing we hear the bowl crash on the floor, and we hear him stamping, and we say, what are you doing? And we go over, he has his foot in the marshmallow, he's squishing it into the floor, it's going on his feet, his hands, his elbow, everywhere, and we just don't know what to do. You try to do something nice, and... He rewarded us with that. So, yeah. Don't share. Toddlers don't share. <laughs> well, that's what tonic snowballs will do to you. Oh, my with the tea God. Cake. Squished into the brand new hardwood flooring. Uh. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I'm sure we would all recommend uh, hardwood flooring, something that's easy to wipe clean. <laughs> uh. Uh, if you're going to become a dad and you're feeling like renovating your house. Pretty sure that the the bit the grooves in between will have marshmallow now in them for the next twenty years and we'll remember forever. But what do you do in that situation? Like the, we we do the situations arise where you. I don't want to admit. Well, you're to, asking me because I was about to ask you because Alana's starting to have these tantra, right? Uh, as well, uh, yeah. when you know she can't get away for something or I mean, what what parent hasn't stolen food out of their kids? Um, uh, oh, there's, sure. there's a blanket ban Definitely now in my household. Like... Blanket oh, ban. Okay. Don't don't take the kids' food. Oh, I thought you meant about snowballs. Uh, <laughs> well, I just I, yeah. I, I think it may be more of a dad thing though as well. Like I I definitely eat more of my children's food than my wife does for sure. Like surprisingly, I mean, like your two year olds as big as he is actually. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but he he knows like it was. It's funny because I, I remember when I was off with him on paternity leave, and he'd be having like peanut butter sandwiches. Like he he would actually get like the fear because you like start taking too long, and I was going to be like, if you take much longer, daddy's going to have it, and he would like speed up and finish it off because he knows that like you know if if my wife says that, it's like an idle threat because she won't actually eat his food. Whereas I I would genuinely just eat 
the food that's been prepared for a toddler because I have no shame. So I did think it through after I I gave up wanting to literally throw him out of the house and leave him there. (laughs) (laughs) That it is actually a bit of a dick thing to do to lean over and take somebody's food from their plate. And maybe it isn't the best thing to to set an example of. So so they don't know what a dick thing to do is. So maybe you were trying to teach them the, you know, the communist way of life. Right, but if he he leans over and takes a piece of my tunic, I'm going to let him, but I'm not going to like it. So... In fairness, I, I I talked to him about how we don't respond in that way, but I wasn't able to admit to him or myself that it, I didn't do a bad thing. And he really stuck at it. He said, but Daddy, <laughs> Daddy you took some of my snowball. And I, I had nothing to say to that because I don't want to teach him that it's okay to lean over and take somebody's snowball. I did do the rounds and say, if Granddad... Is eating something will he share with you? Yes. If Granny's eating a banana, will she share with you? But that's that's their prerogative. It's still not nice to just take someone's food. So I do feel in the end I was the the bad person here. Uh, yeah. So my my two year old went and stuck his hand in some mustard on my plate the other day, and then proceeded to stick it in his mouth. And I'm not I can't quite remember whether I could have fast enough kind of stopped him but you know i would have been 50 50 on whether to do that or not and he basically you know he was fine but he just went like and then needed to like gulp down some water and stuff like that and then he was fine but i think the, the thing is i wonder in some ways with stuff like that if he hadn't have done that and if i tried to like block the mustard then it may have been just like a battle for years whereas now i suspect he will not try and eat mustard off my plate with his hands again because he knows that it's not nice. We did it with wine on holiday. <laughs> Gave him a little sip. I did try him on wine in France, and uh, the conclusion is that he likes French wine, and he has absolutely no time at all for Croatian. The look, <laughs> the look on his face was just beautiful. His face just wretched into a disgust, and he just said, give me some water, and he sucked for dear life. Then <laughs> Mammy asked, uh, did you like that? No, let's go. <laughs> well, we were in a Greek Orthodox church a couple of years ago, and, you know, in those churches, they'll give communion with wine to, like, oh, yeah. wheat. Three tiny babies, like they literally mm. like spoon, like a baby who's not capable of using a spoon themselves, and they'll spoon wine into their mouth. So, <laughs> I guess like those babies will develop their taste for wine. I would imagine slightly earlier. <laughs> are there any toys that are particularly working for you? Your toy of the week, James? She's got loads of toys. I feel like the house is bloody full of them, but she's not really locked in on any one in particular. You know, I mean, she's got loads of cuddly toys, but we sort of had a few in our cot as soon as it was, you know, age appropriate to do so. And kind of figured that maybe she would start sleeping by cuddling up against them, and then maybe she wouldn't wake up, and maybe we could get a full night's sleep. But she didn't seem to care. Like, when, when I'm trying to get her to sleep, if I put her into the cot, she'll stand up, pick up her bunny rabbit, and just throw it out. <laughs> well, that's so, nice. Yeah, I don't, like... I kind of thought that she would latch on to, you know, a, to a toy in particular, um, or a or a stuffed animal uh, in particular. In fact, I wanted that rabbit to be her, her bunny rabbit because she's got like two of them. We very wisely bought two, and we keep one at Granny's house and mm-hmm. one here. So if we lose one, we've got a backup. We got we got three we got three bunnies in M and S uh, and. 
we were it was that it was that idea that we'd have one maybe for a backup and one whatever. He just has all three in his bed these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he loves them all equally. <laughs> we have a similar situation. Like we we gave him a like jelly cat, the the like little soft toy things. He's got an elephant that was his kind of sort of comforter when he was younger in his bed. Um and then he had has a lion and a donkey as well. And what what's ended up happening is he just in the morning he has to carry all three of them around at all time and since he went into bed with a pillow the pillow seems to be an additional stuffed toy so in the morning he takes about five minutes getting out his room because he has to somehow hold on to all three of the toys and hold his pillow and be able to carry them all through and if he drops any by mistake he has to put them all down and pick them all up again and yeah so i i've tried to we'll see how successful it ends up being put a ban on any more soft toys that go in his bed at least because otherwise there'll just be more and more. Although I, I tell like my, my mother bought a jelly cat octopus, which is absolutely enormous. And he kind of rejected more or less immediately, but bizarrely the three month old seems to like when you put this octopus, that's about the same size as him on him and he can just try and like sort of suck on the tentacles. I also found that because they change so rapidly over the course of months, uh, toys come back in favor and things that were only mildly interesting before they suddenly become the best things ever. Um, and for us recently, it's gone in and out of favor, but we talked about it before the show, Mike Duplo the last couple of days. I mean, it's never gone out of, fa- out of favor, but last we, we just, we're just back from a couple of days away and we, we packed a bunch of transformers and a couple of other little bits and pieces. And as we were leaving the door, um, the three-year-old took maybe, a little contraption he'd constructed after maybe 15 pieces of Duplo. And I swear to God, for three days, he only played with those 15 pieces. And he must have made 150 different things, at least. Just taking them apart, putting them together in different formats. I just, I cannot believe how amazing that toy is. Yeah. Yeah, we've got... It's been around for 15 or how, you know, 40 years, 50 years, something like that? I think it was the 50s or the 60s it was introduced. Yeah. It's a bit like... um, uh, what name that giraffe that they like sucking on? So oh, Sophie. Sophie the giraffe, yeah. So I, um, my in-laws are, um, Laura, Laura's sister, she lives in France, and uh, uh, her husband, um, he, apparently Sophie is like really, really old. Like they go to, after World War Two, like the French, and they were like, okay, first thing is to make a giraffe that people can suck on. Sophie came in like the late 40s or early 50s and uh, so their kid has the husband's Sophie, which was the dad's Sophie. Oh wow. So it's a three generation giraffe wow. that has been souped onto within an inch of its life. Yeah. 17 month old has uh, one too, but uh, not that one. And she stopped using it really. So, like all the teething stuff that we uh, got uh, doesn't seem to be uh, of interest to her anymore, you know? Yeah, ours just went in the box. Yeah. Although we did get some variations. We got uh, a, a deer variation, and we have a, a horse now for the, the baby, but it's not, it's not the same brand as Sophie. Sophie's cool, though. We have a Sophie little ring. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're going to have a... Oh, yeah, ring. A, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to have a you know, cloven hoofed ungulate to suck on, <laughs> as well be the original one, you know? 
Uh, I agree. The horse is cute, though. <laughs> but yeah, no, no toys in particular. She just likes playing with everything, really. including loads of stuff that aren't toys. I suppose her number one toy is my keyboard uh, at my desk. She loves. She'll come over if I'm trying to do some work before she's gone to bed, and she'll start climbing up. Like she, she likes climbing, uh, and she'll climb stuff that she obviously can't climb in the hope that you'll send a sister. And so she'll climb up my leg and then get on. But not to give me a cuddle or not to give me a kiss or not to say her first proper words or anything like that. Just to instantly turn around, sit in my lap and start pissing around on my keyboard and <laughs> messing up whatever I was doing with my uh, thesis. <laughs> well, that's obviously the cliche that uh, kids play with the box rather than the toy, but I think it's really important as well for imaginative play <laughs> They uh, they just take random objects and, and turn them into toys for imagination. But that's, I feel like that's why Duplo is so amazing because it yeah. it's, it's right on the intersection of objects and actual toys. Um, and they have to kind of see in their mind what they're going to make. Yeah, Laura brought back some sort of off-brand Duploid uh, thing. <laughs> Megablocks. Mega <laughs> something like that. I can't, can't remember what they're called. Yeah. But... Um, the, uh, Interlocking plastic blocks. <laughs> yeah, uh, they all they get at the moment is thrown about the rooms so that you can stand on them and then experience more pain than you've ever experienced in your oh. life. <laughs> but presumably she'll use them for build at some point. My two-year-old's one in my office that he likes for some reason. I think it must have just been because I did it when he was really little and now he's obsessed with it. Is if he gets into my office, I've got like a a, a rotatable chair and he likes being rotated on the chair until he is extremely dizzy and then he finds it funny to kind of attempt to walk and fall over on his face um, and he'll just want to do that again and again um so i don't really understand the appeal of that because i think it would make me violently sick but oh well you, children like, have you never had a swivel war a, a swivel war what's a swivel <laughs> yeah. war well, you know, uh, when when you're a junior daughter and you've got nothing else to do, you uh, <laughs> get some swivel chairs, and then you uh, you and a co-competitor will get to a space where there's no contact that's going to be made with a desk or anything like that, and then you've got five seconds to swivel as much as you can, and then whoever stops last wins. <laughs> wow. So Maybe If we hadn't done that, then she has to be in a better state than it is, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so you did your studies in an episode of The Office. As a physician, what do you think about the evolutionary benefits of kids absolutely loving being flung about the place at high speed? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe this is a, a sort of simulating a monkey falling out of a tree sort of uh, uh, thing. Alana likes it too. She likes going up in the air and getting... Um, uh, be running with her around the house like a aeroplane. Maybe it's just some kind of Darwinian award. Well, practice. It's, it's like why fun fairs and carnival rides are fun. Well, now it's becoming an interesting question. Yeah, why do we like being flung about the place at high speed? <laughs> well, the the monkey bit reminded me of. I, I quite like the. I forget what it's called. Jane will probably know this. Like the little reflexes that newborns have, where if you mm. kind of if you hold them in your arms and you kind of drop them quite quickly while holding them, that they like fling their arms out to the side and stuff. And yeah, that, I think that reflex. There you go. And you know it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you got to test it because um, if if they don't have it, it means that there's something something's gone wrong. There's some sort of neurological deficit usually um, that you have to diagnose quickly because sometimes they're also associated with lung disease. But I just find it funny because. It's funny watching like a newborn like fling their arms out involuntarily. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any books that your child is currently into at the moment, James? I mean, at the moment, uh, it's probably Hippo Has a Hat, the Julia Donaldson, Nick Sharrett book. Um, she'll read that again and again. And uh, she really likes Turn the Flat books. You're asking what books the 17-month-old is into and not what books me and Laura wish she was into and want to read. Um. Julia Donaldson's got to be one of the most prolific oh, yeah. authors in the UK. It's every other book in the kids' books aisle in is Julia Donaldson. And it's not yeah. like there aren't other books. Like, if you go to the library, you discover there are literally thousands of other authors, but they're not in the shops. Oh, well, I just think she sort of hit minimum groundswell with the Gruffalo, and then everybody was into her books because she was the Gruffalo author, if you know what I mean. But she also has a, doesn't have a background in writing songs for... Like the BBC, so she's got a good command of sort of like she she does these rhyming books. And yeah, you know it's almost like poetry. It makes Although, it much easier to read and remember. You know, like when, when did you first memorize the you know the whole words the Gruffalo? It must have been you know after a month or so of reading it out. You've just you know got it completely. And there are lots of books where you wouldn't be able to do that. I will say, though, and this is no personal slight on Julia Donaldson's genius, that her command of rhythm and words is superior to her command of melody. Um, it's worth going on YouTube and, and listening to some of the songs, and then you will have to unlisten. <laughs> <laughs> I just ended up creating my own melodies for the songs, and obviously my compositions were far superior. <laughs> I wasn't aware that there were official song versions. I need to go and check the first, some of these out. The first collaboration with Axel Scheffler was was originally written as a, a song. It was uh, a squash and a squeeze, and uh, yeah, it's better. It's better read as a poem, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think you can hear that, can't you? Uh, it, the, when, you the, when you read a squash and a squeeze, but it's it's a little bit more songy. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think most of them have have tunes. If you if you dig, you can you can buy. Uh, versions where, where people sing them in ways that you wish they were just <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm I feel like I've not really been sold on <laughs> investigating this uh, I think like yeah I think last night was three Julia Donaldson books in a row what was it uh sharing a shell Zog mm. Which, mm. I think Zog's pretty strong for anyone who doesn't know it's about a dragon school and then, spoilers, when he rescues a princess, the princess is like, I just want to be a doctor. So then so, they become a fly, flying dragon doctors, which is just incredible. The, se- for a tw- the sequel is worth reading as well? Oh, yeah, I haven't read the sequel yet. You haven't read the and sequel? Then, oh, oh, yeah. well, and then there's like, You can come next door oh, and get it. Call Thank yourself you. a Julia Donaldson fan. And then there's... Um, <laughs> you haven't even puzzle. read the flying doctors. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm a pretty big fan of all hers. Something I've not had to do with any of hers, which I have done with others, is, like, edit the text. There's there's some children's books where it uses, like, unnecessary baby language. So huh. I've, like, literally scored words out and written in <laughs> different words instead. <laughs> like, wow. this one, I, I, I won't name the book by name to avoid... Uh, Go on. Too, me- too mean like, about the... What, what's no the listeners yet. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the... 
oh, what's the name? It's about an elephant, a patchwork elephant. I forgot, oh. forgot the name. <laughs> Elmer. Uh, Elmer. Elmer the patchwork elephant. Elmer's and there's a right. line where it's, I know, but there's the line and the think that I was thinking. And it's like, yeah. that's, yeah, but it, you don't think thinks, you think thoughts. So Come I've on. scored out, I've Come scored on. out think. Come on. <laughs> and entered thought. Oh my goodness. As is proper English. It's very uh, important. Now right? I will just visualize you reading books and anytime any author takes artistic license in any way, you're just scratching words out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Keep a ramp, a red pen alongside me at all times when reading kids, children's books. Your kids will be embarrassed that you do this for the rest of their lives. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Yeah. Just, just think of the lack of resale value in that book now, Mike. You <laughs> yourself an injury there. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I mean, that that could be a good way of doing it, is I could go around charity shops and repeatedly buy the same book, score, <laughs> score it out, <laughs> and then give it back to other charity shops. And before you know it, the second edition will mysteriously have been updated to my uh, my text of choice just through dispersal. Well, I guess you could waste your time doing that if you wanted. Are you just going to do this, limit this to grammar? Are you going to limit it to the story itself? Because there is no such thing as a graffalo. So you're going to have to say, oh, it was probably just a big bear or something. It's just a fantasy construct from a North English literarian. (laughs) No, I've just added at the end, and it was all a dream. Oh, What other home truths do you want to school your kids in, Mike? (laughs) I feel like that's enough for now. (laughs) We we had a fairly successful weekend actually, which was um, I can't remember if I mentioned last time that we were going to attempt to go see a a film in the cinema, and we actually yeah. did manage to successfully stay all the way through Shaun the Sheep to Farmageddon. Well, which, yeah. uh, has has had universally good reviews as well. Yeah, it was it was good. I, I thought. I mean, it was. I mean, considering for like an adult film, I think Mark Commode, the UK film reviewer, he says if a comedy makes him laugh out loud, I think more than two times, he considers it a good comedy. And it made me laugh out loud certainly a lot more than two times. And there's a lot of kind of good little bits of adult humour, like the X-Files theme tune going on and various references to H.G. Wells and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, It's it's interesting, actually, because my wife warned me about the trailers because she thought that my two-year-old would get bored watching the trailers. But I didn't really think that although the film would be fine for a two-year-old, that the trailers might not be. And none of them were, you know, awful or anything like that. But, you know, I guess there was trailers for probably like 12A films that were cut as a PG or U-rated trailer or whatever. But yeah, but we were watching the trailers and he said, don't like it, want to go home. Um, Because I I guess he must have seen something. I think it was like Jumanji or something like that. He must have seen something he didn't like. So... um, so yeah, so we almost bailed then, but instead we just went outside and watched some Shaun the Sheep on my phone uh, until the trailers were over and then went back inside. And he was still a little bit unsure, so I held him for a wee while, but he, he kind of got into it and seemed to enjoy it after that, once the film actually kind of got going again. But yeah, watch out for those trailers. Oh, this is all good endorsement. 96% on the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter. That's huge. And I, I see it's Mr. Tumble provides the voice. I didn't realize that. Uh, does he? For, for who? Uh, for Sean the Sheep. Really? Well, yeah, Justin Fletcher. There's not really any 
dialogue because he is in fact a sheep. <laughs> he provides the bleats and shrieks. <laughs> the bleats and shrieks. The bleats and shrieks. What do we think of Justin Fletcher? I think he's just he's just amazing. Mr. Tumble, I, I've not really come across him yet. We've not got to that stage, really. We've well, just watched animated. Been doing it for like 15 years or something. Yeah, there's just, there's just so much goodness that that guy brings to the world. He just does everything so right. Oh, what a wonderful man. Yeah, he does seem like a nice chap. Yeah. He's like, who? What? what live show could you bring to your kids for an absolutely unadulterated, authentic, fun kids experience? That's the first person that comes to mind. Nice work, Justin. But Farmageddon is a close second. Right. <laughs> Do you want to say where people can find you on the internet, Jim, or is that... No, I have no internet presence no. and no um, plans to get one. <laughs> so, no, not really. Right, well, thank you for joining us this week, James. Well, thanks, Andy. Good luck with everything. Cool. Thanks, James. Thanks for listening to Balancing Dads. You can find us on Twitter at Balancing Dads and me at Mike McQuaid. You can find Paul on Twitter at PaulCA. Have a good week. Do you know any dad jokes? What kind of onion stings you? A scorpion onion. <laughs> Yikes. That is a dad Brilliant. joke. Yeah. Well, I didn't say it was perfect. I said it was a dad joke. No, it was a perfect dad joke. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, because a dad joke can't be too good. That's kind of the point. Then it just becomes exactly. a joke. Yeah, just so. Well, could you explain that you a bit f- more, Mike? Uh, no. <laughs> Wait, well, so dad jokes for... aren't funny. Well, I, there's there's a certain type of. I feel like there are subgenre okay, jokes. Okay, you can. Stop, they have you to can be. Stop, you can stop. Very funny. <laughs>